everyone, and welcome to The Build Podcast. I'm Kyle Poyer, VP of Market Strategy here at OpenView, where I help software companies accelerate growth and master my favorite area, pricing and packaging. That's why this season on Build, we're talking all about the art and science of pricing. Each week, I sit down with operators and experts to hear their pricing insights and experiences firsthand and answer some of our listeners' most burning pricing questions. Now on with the show. On this episode of Build, we step into a day in the life of a pricing professional in a fast-growing SaaS company. I'm joined by Madeline Stein from SendGrid and Ismail Modney from Envision. Both are career pricing leaders, and they shared their tips about when to make pricing a dedicated function and how to partner with other functions to drive successful pricing changes. Madeline and Ismail, thanks for joining the OpenView Build podcast. First question for you both, how did you get started in the world of SaaS and pricing? Kyle, thank you for having me on here. I really appreciate it. For me, pricing, I don't think you ever seek to get into it per se coming out of school. I sort of fell into it when I was in the DC area after college, primarily with government contractors. And then I got into SaaS as AT&T was getting FedRAMP certified back in 2013. The question was around, what does this mean? What do we do? As AT&T was very much a cost plus environment in the group I worked in. So I got some exposure there and experience. And then when I moved to Raleigh and got my role at Citrix, it was all SaaS pricing, just drinking out of the fire hose from there. So I never really set out for it, but just ended up here. Yeah, and for me, similar to Ismail, did not seek out a career in pricing, really just fell into it. I was actually early on in my career in some market research roles, and I then found a job with a consulting company, a small boutique firm focused exclusively on pricing, and got into doing pricing research with them and worked across all different industries, all different products and really got deep into the pricing world that way and then went from the consulting world to the corporate side of things and ended up at SendGrid a couple of years ago. And that's how I got into SaaS. You know, most companies don't necessarily have dedicated experts who own packaging and pricing, but you have obviously been in those roles. What made your role a priority for SendGrid and for Envision? Yeah, for SendGrid, the pricing team started in early 2016. They hired my manager first, who's the product director, and then me. And then we recently added a third team member. And what really drove the need for pricing was our executive team really recognized the value and the impact that pricing can have on revenue growth. And for the stage that we were at and really growing quickly and looking to accelerate that growth, it just made sense for them to put a lot of focus on it. And similar to what Madeline just said about SendGrid, essentially the same thing here at Envision. I got to start this pricing team in September of 2018. So it's been about eight months now. I have been able to build out the function, build out the team. But as Madeline said, it was just a recognition of the importance of pricing, how impactful it can be, and that having a dedicated function focus to it to drive pricing projects and help set a holistic view of pricing strategy that ties to product and marketing strategy made sense. Usually what I think happens is there's someone in product or someone in marketing doing it part-time. It comes to a point you can't do that anymore. You know, was that the right time to start packaging and pricing functions? Should it have come earlier? Were you guys too early in the role? What are your thoughts about that? I think that's a good question. Here at Envision, 
from my personal opinion, I think we managed to get in at the exact right time where the organization is big enough and starting to become mature and a little more sophisticated. What's kind of nice to see is the rest of the business wishes we were around earlier, which means we're doing something right. But when we landed here made sense with where we were as a business. I think that pricing for SendGrid, it came in at a good time. We were expanding into some different product lines. We had a marketing product that was newly in market when the pricing team was first formed, and there was a ton of opportunity to evaluate pricing at that stage. As a pricing professional and someone who's been doing this for a long time, I always like to say it's never too early to think about pricing. But in terms of thinking about when to build out that team and start to have some exclusive focus on it, I think as you're transitioning into that growth stage, that's a really good time to start really thinking about hiring some dedicated pricing people. You know, from the 2018 open view benchmarking, one thing I thought was really interesting was your stat that 42% of expansion stage companies have pricing teams. And one way I like to think about it is, you know, imagine if you were an expansion stage company that didn't have a finance or marketing team. So by the time you hit that expansion stage, 100 million revenue, you definitely want to have some dedicated focus around pricing. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And to add just a little bit to that as well, I think as you start to expand your products, when you're no longer just one core product, and you're thinking of ancillary products, or you know, do we have an add-on, or do we start to change our pricing tiers? It's another good time. It's just the business gets more sophisticated. I feel at that point, you're no longer just focused on one particular type of customer or one particular type of user that the founding team might have been very familiar with, but now it's becoming a little more diverse who's using your product. So having folks who can do that research and really gain that user empathy in a multi-product world is a great time to make sure you have a pricing function. Absolutely agree there. I think what's tricky with pricing is it's such a cross-functional job, right? It touches on just about every aspect of the business where finance has to get involved, you have to get billing, you have to get the engineering team, product, marketing. It's one of the, probably the most cross-functional positions in a company. But do you see a specific, you know, broader function as, you know, where pricing should ultimately report up into and live? Or do you think it should sort of really vary based on the exact company itself? That's a great question. I'm nodding vigorously. You can't see me when you're talking about how cross-functional it is. So at SendGrid, we are part of the product organization, which for us in our stage right now and with new product development, I think that that is a really great place for us to sit because we can partner really closely with all the product managers and all of the other teams as well, but with product managers in particular on new product development. I think it really depends on, you know, the structure of your organization and where different decisions are getting made and sort of how your go-to-market function works in a lot of ways as well. With Twilio, and SendGrid is now part of the Twilio family, pricing for them sits within their go-to-market org. And that makes a lot of sense just relative to how their product and go-to-market teams are organized. So I think across the board, it does get pretty company-specific. I think the key thing to think about is where can your pricing team have the most influence on driving revenue and being impactful in new product development? I 100% agree with the sense that it is very company-specific. For example, at 
LogMeIn and the Citrix GoTo products, our pricing function was part of the marketing org. It made perfect sense in both of those companies because of the nature of how we brought products to market versus other companies where it may be a much more product-led growth org, such as Envision. So we are also located in our product org now. And to me, that makes total sense. We have a very strong product leader. We have a strong product vision. Our pricing function will have the most impact working with the product managers and the product leaders on understanding the customers and what is the willingness to pay and how do we design packages. So our partnership there really matters. It's funny is when I actually got to Envision, we were in the BizOps function, which was much more of a kind of central catch-all function. So we had that cross-functional ability, but one of the issues we would have there is you're not really aligned with either product or the go-to-market functions. You're just kind of in the middle of everything. So sometimes you don't have the executive alignment or the executive support you may need when push comes to shove. I guess to me, some takeaways are make sure pricing is in a function that is really influential in the company where you can really drive change. And then also make sure that you're really close to the resources that you need to be successful in the project. So whether that's when the company is building new products close to the product or just the company is sort of optimizing go-to-market models close to the go-to-market resources. And I think a lot of people might not know what, you know, a day in the life looks like for someone in a pricing role. You know, what does a typical day look like for you two? I think typical is an anomaly in pricing, (laughs) at least in my day-to-day or my life within SendGrid. And I mean, for me, that's actually really beneficial. I like the variety I get in my day-to-day and teams that I get to work with. The way I think about life in a SaaS pricing company is rather than thinking about the typical day, because there rarely is one, I think about sort of just areas and different types of things I work on. So I will spend a portion of my time on things like research and validation. And that's everything from writing surveys and interview guides to actually conducting customer interviews, working with our internal research team, working with external research partners if we're doing willingness to pay research, and then also working with our PMs and our PMM and our design teams where pricing is one component of our validation work that we do in our product development. Another area I focus on is analysis, so estimating the impact of price changes that we've made in the past and exploring new opportunities for future pricing changes and you know, working a lot with our finance teams to build out some of that data. And then last is an area of implementation, so working with our billing teams and our engineering teams and product marketing on customer communication to actually get changes implemented in the market and working through some of the nitty-gritty details of that. Any one day can have all of those components or sometimes just one of those components. There isn't necessarily the typical day because of how cross-functional we are, which is great, but at times can be a little overwhelming. I heard many of the same things I have to work on as well. You're just sometimes all over the place. You're in meetings with the product team or the marketing team around, hey, do we invest in this product or do we actually conduct this research or What do we build for this other area here with the billing team around implementation, testing things to make sure they were kind of project managing that aspect. And a lot of what I have to do here as well is work with our sales teams and making sure that 
We have given them appropriate sales strategies, along with discount guidelines, sales plays, thinking about how does this deal work within our overall pricing strategy? How does this deal provide value to the customer? And how will it provide value to the business? So it's end-to-end, which I find great, but at times will absolutely make things a bit overwhelming and you don't have that typical day. Yeah, and I think that end-to-end component, just to build on what Ismail is saying, you know, pricing in a lot of companies where there is a pricing team, it's usually a pretty small team. So some of that variety comes from just wearing many hats as you're doing a lot of different functions as a team of, you know, in our case, three now, but for a long time too. So you roll with what has to get done on any given day for any given project. Yeah, have to be very comfortable wearing different hats. When a lot of people think about a pricing project or doing a pricing change, they naturally think about raising prices. But, you know, Sunred, Twilio, and Envision all have more of this high velocity, freemium or self-service go-to-market motion that relies on, you know, a lot of top of funnel acquisition. And so balancing that acquisition with monetization and making money from those new users. How do you think about pricing in terms of balancing those different objectives? And can you actually move both forward at the same time? I think you can definitely move forward at the same time if you are thinking of pricing and the package from the user perspective. One of the interesting things here, because of what Envision does, we really have our design thinking hats on. So we want to think, how does the user feel about this? How does the buying experience make the user want to use our product or not want to use the product? Will they be comfortable not only signing up for our product, but eventually paying for it and telling either colleagues of theirs or teammates that they also should pay for it. So fundamentally, thinking about the user story, the user journey, what drives value for them, while it may look like an acquisition piece initially, will lead to that monetization. I wish we you know, had more to disagree on this now. It would make for <laughs> interesting conversation, but I totally agree with you know balancing both the monetization and the acquisition piece. And I really think of our free trial and freemium offers as part of our overall packaging and pricing strategy rather than an and or. Our free trial, what it helps us to do is to help customers realize the value of our service before they get onto a paid package. And then once they realize the value and in our case, how many emails they're sending, they can then choose the appropriate package for them. Switching email providers can be no small feat for some companies. And we want customers to have that experience where they can try before they buy. And that's going to ensure a longer term, better relationship with them overall. So that customer experience is really a forethought for us as well. And I think coming back to some pricing principles and really just thinking about segmentation is really important how we balance out our free offer versus our paid offers. So thinking through, you know, what's our target customer segment for a freemium product versus a free trial versus a paid product and creating offers that really help to maximize our opportunities with different segments. So those who have willingness to pay, but are okay with a free offer or a cheaper offer up to those who have higher needs, a higher perceived value of our product and are looking for more features and will pay for those. So it's an ongoing balance to iterate on those and 
one thing I really think about with respect to balancing the two and to having both work effectively at the same time is having really clear KPIs against your free offer and what you're expecting out of it with respect to acquisition and then your paid plans as well and how you expect sort of upgrades, revenue generation and other key metrics and then being able to optimize and iterate on those different offers over time to really drive your business objectives. And I think you brought up a really good point around segmentation in particular there. Exactly who are the segments and what is their willingness to pay and what are we offering them that gives them value and drives their needs. But it also ties back to the cross-functional nature of our role, which is, again, really exciting because when you think of customer segmentation, that's a very strategic consideration for a company. Who are our customers? How are we segmenting them? Are we thinking about it by industry, by company size, by job to be done? However you segment that, it's not just a pricing function decision. We can drive that. We can drive some thoughts around it, but that really requires alignment, again, end-to-end, product, marketing, your sales teams, your finance teams. And I think that's what's really unique about our role, just being right in the middle of that and thinking about monetization and acquisition from that perspective. And I want to talk more about looking at kind of KPIs about your packages and pricing. What are some signals or KPIs that you guys regularly monitor that tell you maybe it's time to revisit how your packages are set up or how you approach pricing? We look at our signups and then eventually paid conversions, as well as how long that process takes. If you're a product-led company, much of what you're trying to do is maximize those network effects. And I think we can agree Slack does a great job of that. I'm certain Slack internally looks at, well, how long does it take this team to go from a free team where they don't have very much beyond just the messaging capabilities into one of these paid teams? We really pay attention to that just as it starts to set in motion what we're doing downstream. Yeah, I agree with the acquisition and conversion metrics. Also looking at churn is another key one understanding if you know customers are churning out of certain package levels or churning out very early on. If they are, you know, there might be tweaks to make to get them to stay or different pricing plays to retain them. And if they're not churning at all, then there might be some opportunities for price increases. And then as well for us with a good, better, best structure in our packaging, understanding the upgrade downgrade flow. And if there's opportunities to drive more upgrades to certain packages through our pricing and our offer, or conversely kind of limit downgrades is another key thing that we want to look at and is a good sort of SaaS metric in general to think about. And then you've both been in pricing for a minute. (laughs) What's the biggest pricing change you've led? And looking back on it, what were some of the keys to success? One of the bigger ones I was on was working actually on LastPass, which was great just because it was tying into the overall product strategy as well. And I tell folks the keys to success there was the early alignment that we had with the cross-functional team that was running the product. Once the go-to log me and merger took place, we were thrown into it. We aligned on the big goals. And with that North Star, we're able to really drive the project and get stakeholders aligned and come up with a solution that worked. And yeah, if you look at the reports that Logman produces, clearly LastPass is doing well. So it's exciting to see that a couple years later. But as I tell folks, fundamentally, if you think about 
how every pricing project requires that cross-functional alignment. The first part of that is aligning on the objective and the goal and getting everyone on the same page with that. Or else you end up spinning your wheels if you're not clear with why are we doing this and what is the trade-off we're willing to make. First of all, I want to say I love LastPass. It saves me endless hours of trying to figure out passwords and do password resets. <laughs> For myself, actually, we made a pretty substantial pricing change at SendGrid recently at the beginning of the year. And that's one of the bigger ones that I've been involved in. And I break down kind of our success factors into three key areas. One is teamwork. So going back to the cross-functional nature of pricing, but we had such strong teamwork and collaboration from everyone involved. So the product teams that had to be involved, our product marketing teams, our communications team, and our email marketing team, and like developing customer communications and monitoring response. Our support team was super involved in being prepped to answer customer questions. And then our engineering teams who run our billing systems and our finance team as well, being prepped and ready to go to actually implement that change with pricing changes. There was a specific day that we had earmarked. This is the day it's going to happen and we had to be ready and they just knocked it out of the park. So that teamwork aspect was huge. I think the other success factors for us, one was research. We did a lot of research going into making that change and that was really key to getting that alignment that Ishmael talked about across the company, that it was the right decision. We were ready to go for it and being able to estimate that impact And then measurement was the third factor where we defined a list of KPIs and our expectations around what was going to happen. And everything from revenue down to support tickets to impact on NPS. And we came up with a benchmark, something that we could measure against over time so that we could set expectations across the company and not have any surprises or what ifs or questions on what was working, what was not working. We really kind of set that up front to define how we would measure if this was successful or not. Madeline, quick question for you. Has your experience at different roles in terms of the research aspect of what we do? I know I've had, in some cases, people buy into it right away. In other cases, it takes some time to bring other leaders along. How do you feel folks in other functions respond to that? Because sometimes it really changes the story for them, changes what they intuitively thought. And they're like, well, actually, the data says something else. I have definitely had experiences all across the spectrum. And I think, you know, part of that is getting started in pricing and starting in a pricing research function. I've sort of seen it all from the complete dismissal to the absolute acceptance. For us at SendGrid, and one thing I've learned over my career and we've done here really well is we've brought some of those key stakeholders along on the research journey. So we're not just delivering an end product, but we're really making sure that key product stakeholders are involved in the design of the research and really have an idea of what's going on, as well as getting representatives from our finance team and our biz ops team so that Everyone sort of has a shared understanding of what our learning objectives are, how we're going to go about doing that. And then there aren't those surprises when we do the readout. Also being really clear internally about what you will learn and what you won't learn is really, really important. Because if you're clear on what you're not getting out of a specific research project, it's not that 
the idea isn't there. It's just, it's not in the scope of the current research project and something to look at later. And that helps to build that alignment and really get focused on the decision at hand and the key question at hand. How much work goes into it? Like how long does it take from, let's say, you decide to kick off a project to like finished with the research phase to you've fully implemented the new pricing? For me, I typically think end-to-end for the entire project can easily be a year-long project, if not more. The research aspect of it, I like to think we can get done in a quarter between the planning, the development of the survey instrument, getting it out, getting responses, analyzing, and doing interviews. I typically think all of that can be done within one quarter, and then there's some validation after that. But entire project end to end, there's so many things that can either go right or not go right, that you at least have to be considering a year long project, if not longer. Yeah, I agree on the year for those really big changes. With research specifically, I sort of break it down into the size of the research project based on the size of the objective. So a larger scale quantitative research project, you know, online surveys, you want to talk to a sample of hundreds plus, you're really looking at maybe the scope of a whole product line or multiple product lines. Like Ishmael said, I think that those generally budget a quarter for just the research and then subsequent time after maybe for some decision-making and in-market testing. For smaller research projects where you might be really focused on one particular feature, you might be doing some qualitative interviews as part of your product validation process, those can get done more in a couple of sprints end-to-end. And if you're kind of really trying to work as fast as possible, then, you know, potentially one to two sprints max if you're trying to get four to six customer interviews just to validate a specific feature or, you know, something that's very niche and targeting a small number of your customer base. I've had similar experiences. And what I find interesting is that a lot of times the research isn't really the bottleneck to a pricing change. And yet it's the first thing that people drop (laughs) when they're thinking about how to go about a pricing change is they just won't do research. And I have to educate people that that's probably not what's going to hold back this project from being successful. It might even accelerate the project because you get clarity into what you want to do. You can align the organization on objective, consistent data. And what ends up happening is that you end up running into like billing issues. You end up having product limitations that you maybe didn't expect. I've seen instances when like changing packages requires introducing new feature flags in the product and just changing sort of a lot of the way the product has been built. And so that ends up being more of the limiting factor from a timing perspective than anything else. I'm glad you bring that up, Kyle, because something you think is as simple as billing is not and can take months upon months to test and make sure it works. There's one project I worked on a few years ago where we were changing the price by, I think, 3 or $4, something that I felt was pretty low scale. And to make the systematic change took about two months, where I'm sitting there thinking, gosh, we're only changing one number on the website. You subsequently learn just how much is involved in these things. You no longer give anyone a false impression of, oh, we can do this quickly. Every one of these projects takes time, and it's usually not the research element because 
those of us in pricing can actually control the research element and we're driving that. And I've found my experience and Madeline, I think you'll agree with this as well, that folks in pricing get things done when they say they'll get it done. And it's tough around the edges sometimes. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. And I think on the research aspect, Kyle, to your point where sometimes it's the first thing that gets dropped, I think of the mantra of, you know, sometimes you want to move slow to move fast because sure, it seems like a lot of upfront time to do research, but once you have that research done and you've made your decisions based on that data, it really helps to accelerate the rest of the process because it gives a lot more clear vision on what it is you're going forward with. And as you both mentioned, billing system changes. One of my favorite things to hear is like, well, making a price change, like you just change the number on the website, right? I'm like, well, <laughs> that's one part of it. And then there's all the other stuff under the hood that you have to figure out. You know, in all my pricing experience, I think that challenges with billing systems is a pretty common theme, regardless of industry, product, stage of company, et cetera. So yeah, there's definitely effort involved in research and being confident in the decision up front can really help mitigate some of those challenges later on in the process. Definitely. And then I had one more topic I was hoping we could cover. When you look at just about any SaaS company, they're constantly rolling out new features and products, and they all struggle with how to monetize them. Should the new feature be included for free? Should it be an add-on? Should it be only in certain packages? Is it maybe a separate product line? What's your advice for how and when to approach monetizing new products? One thing that I continuously say at SendGrid, and I talk to the product managers and our whole product org a lot about this, is start early. The actual price point, the number you're putting on something, that is a late stage piece of the overall pricing journey and the set of pricing considerations within a new product. So I strongly believe that pricing is something you really want to start thinking about the day you start thinking about a product opportunity. And really in those early days, in those early stages, it's understanding what do customers value? What's the alternative solution that they're using today? What does that cost them? How do they quantify value? Understanding the buying decision process. There's a ton of background things to think about before you actually get to price point or price model. And if you're thinking about pricing and monetization from day one in a product opportunity, you're going to build your learnings about pricing all the way along. So by the time you have that product concept and you're ready to go into market with you know, a beta or some prototype testing, you're going to be in a much better position to actually put a dollar amount on it. If you're going kind of with an add-on approach, it makes the process much smoother than, hey, here's the end product. What should we charge for it? There's a lot more room for error and room that you're leaving money on the table in that scenario than if you start early on. And as far as thinking about you know, add-on versus product line versus bundling in, and really think about how many people are interested and value this feature or this product relative to their willingness to pay. And then thinking about if that feature or that product is really core to the experience or something that is ancillary to that core offering. Absolutely, and all of those. And I'm not surprised we agree on 95% of things considering what we do. But again, being upfront and early, that just demonstrates how strategic this role is and the impact it can have. Ultimately, if you're thinking about it the entire way, that ties into your company strategy. What type of company do you want to be? What trade-offs are you willing to make? Are you trying to be a self-service company? Are you trying to be an enterprise offering company? 
your growth trajectory. There's so many decisions that are then made if pricing is being brought along the journey versus at the end, oh, hey, we built this feature. How much do we charge for it? Or do we put it in the starter tier or the ultra plus tier versus actually having it as part of the strategic conversation the entire way? As for the specific question here in terms of add-on or part of packages, I agree in terms of really understanding the user value and how many users and customers will be able to utilize this and it'll be beneficial to their experience. I also like to go back to what was written in Monetizing Innovation about the McDonald's value meal, French fries and soda and a burger fit well together in a package, but probably not coffee in that package. That can be an add-on or in a different package it works. To your point about that alignment on the strategy, that helps make a lot of pricing decisions easier. So being really aligned with the executive team at your company and different stakeholders really helps to sometimes accelerate some of those decisions about where certain things should fit because there's just a natural decision there based on broader business and strategic considerations. And the other point I want to make to that McDonald's example you shared, packaging and where those features fit within packages is, I think, just as important as setting a price point or a dollar amount on a feature. Because at the end of the day, in a lot of cases, sometimes if you can get a customer to upgrade to move up to a higher tier because the feature set is right, that's actually going to be more impactful on revenue than figuring out if you should charge some dollar amount for a specific add-on. So yeah, don't underestimate packaging impact. Great advice. Well, next time we'll have to find more to disagree on. (laughs) I agree with everything you guys have said too. One final question. What's one SaaS company that you both admire from a pricing and packaging standpoint? I think the obvious one these days is Slack. Again, just how they've been able to turn their model into such a machine from free to enterprise conversions and how that end user experience is so good, whether you're a free customer or an enterprise customer, and that helps drive pricing and packaging and make what they're doing so powerful. So these days, I really love what they do. I think Zoom as well, just the impact they've had with pricing and how it tied into their product strategy, not just with the SaaS product itself, but Zoom rooms, which tied into it and really how pricing helped that company scale. So those are my two top companies right now. Those are great ones. One thing I like to do with pricing is also sometimes go outside of SaaS and look at what companies in other industries are doing because there's always a lot of parallels in pricing across different industries and different products. And a company I think that has been doing some really innovative and interesting things lately is T-Mobile. And, you know, they're not SaaS, but they do have that monthly recurring revenue model. And what I found really interesting about them is how they have sort of changed things in the telecom and the cell phone industry with pricing. So when they went to their uncarrier marketing campaign and really promoted the flat fee with a lot of really value-added features like MLB TV and Netflix and so on bundled in, I just thought it was a really interesting approach from the multi-item bill with data usage and your text messages and your voicemail to just having a really clear, simple monthly dollar fee that you can communicate. And they've been iterating a lot on their metrics. I've seen it go from like 
gigs of data to number of lines. And I just, I think they're doing some really interesting things that actually have a lot of parallels in the SaaS world in terms of price metrics, packaging features, and how to communicate price effectively. Yeah, that's a great example for folks to learn from. Well, Madeline, Ishmael, thanks so much for joining the Build Podcast. Enjoyed this. Great, thank you. Thanks for tuning into the Build Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to podcasts, and give us a five-star rating while you're at it. Outside of podcasts, we produce content daily on OpenView Labs. You can also follow us on Twitter at OpenView Venture and subscribe to our newsletter that's sent out to over 100,000 SaaS operators every Saturday morning by going to openviewpartners.com forward slash newsletter. Until next time.